This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. And a great, great day to everyone joining us today on Make Your Pitch. Uh, this episode is uh, brought to you in, in order to have you gain knowledge about how to make a pitch, how to approach investors. Uh, in fact, we want you to be uh, to have the, a chance to give your information so an investor will firmly understand it and get in touch with you. So we're here to help you create your dreams and make your dreams possible. Uh, today, we have a very talented guest and a person making a pitch. And I'll let, uh, I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. And I'll let Ellen introduce our guest for today. Welcome, Rhonda. How are you today? Uh, you're Great. going to tell, good, you're going to tell us about Toy Cycle. Um, you've been doing this for some time and you have crafted and designed a niche for yourself in a space that identifies toys. And they're not necessarily vintage toys, but they are toys that children will be attracted to. So I want to welcome you and take it away so that we can hear about the evolution of Toy Cycle. Thank you so much, Ellen, and thank you, Christopher. I really appreciate this opportunity actually to share about the company. I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about myself and my team, and then I'll dive into the business model and where we are right now. So first, and perhaps most importantly, I am a proud mom of twin daughters who are now in fifth grade. Hard to believe that they grow so quickly. Uh, in the early years, right after my kids were born and then into preschool and elementary school years, I struggled with two things mainly as a mom. First was the cost of all the gear that we needed at the start and as they grew. And then second was the burden of offloading that same gear once they had outgrown it. And if you're a parent, you very likely know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that this isn't a just a few items here and there. It's a mountain of stuff, hundreds of items. We're talking about clothing, toys, baby gear, everything, all outgrown within just a few weeks or months of purchase. Because I'm kind of naturally drawn to problem solving, prior to founding Toy Cycle, I had spent 20 years as a documentary film editor, basically problem solving and iterating as a daily routine. So I started thinking with that problem solving cap about 
how to solve this problem of gearing up and then gearing back down when you have kids, because this is really a big problem and one that millions of families struggle with. My technical co-founder, Sarfraz, uh, who is also a father of three young children, Sarfraz and I first launched a peer-to-peer -peer local swap platform for toys. We didn't realize it then, but we came to understand through the process of that first product that we built that um, parents don't actually have time for much of anything outside of working and parenting. We as parents might be wildly enthusiastic about an opportunity to offload all of this gear, but when it comes right down to it, most of us just don't have the time to participate. And that's what we found with our first product that it just simply didn't solve the problem for families. So we pivoted in the fall of 2019 to our current consignment model. It's a full service concierge consignment model and it does solve the problem for families. And uh, I wanna give you a little bit more detail about how and why it does that. The average family spends six to $12,000 gearing up for a baby. And as I said, baby then outgrows everything in the blink of an eye. And then there's more expense and there's more outgrown stuff each year as children grow, grow. The options for selling gear for families are limited. Marketplaces can be really frustrating places for families. When my kids were little, you know, I had two or more of everything and just an unbelievable amount of stuff. And as a working mom, I had no time. So for me, this was a non-starter. It was not something that I could even think about. And on the buy side also, who hasn't had a bad experience with something purchased secondhand in a marketplace? Recently, I tried to purchase a Barbie house for my kids for their birthday. Uh, and I tried to purchase this on Mercari, which is a very popular marketplace. I made the purchase. And then I didn't receive any shipping information, uh, you know, three or four days later. So I contacted the seller, at which point she asked me if I could come pick up the Barbie house rather than her shipping it. She's in Kansas and I live in Oakland, California, so that wasn't going to work. And uh, it turned out to just be a waste of my time. And it was really disappointing for my kids. The point being, there are millions of amateur sellers on marketplaces, people who don't really understand how to work. There's millions of ideas about good condition means. And I don't mean to bash marketplaces here. I think they're actually really great. And they work for people who have a few things to sell or for small online sellers who make it their business. You can get guys sometimes on marketplaces, but on the whole, they aren't great for families. By their very nature, they are hit or miss. And when we're talking about our babies and young children, that to me is not acceptable. So at TwoyCycle, our solution is an efficient and trustworthy marketplace for toys, clothing, and baby gear, all the articles of early childhood. An effortless white glove consignment service at your door a focused marketplace with mega reach via software as a service. Our partners are toy cycle curators and they are highly trained independent sellers who provide the curbside services across the US and affiliate local consignment shops. So with our model, selling families save time and they completely eliminate the frustration of selling. They earn cash with virtually no effort 
and buying families enjoy the cost savings of resale and they get quality control. We're very proud of the fact that since we launched, we have sold uh, 2,800 products and we've had four of them returned. So that's a 0.14% return rate, which just knocks out any kind of e-commerce or retail operation out there. And it means that there's really no hit or miss with our model. It works and we've got quality assurance. The toy and baby gear resale market is worth $25 billion. Only 25% of families in one study reported that they sell toys and gear each year. So billions more in value is being given away, it's being thrown away, it's languishing in closets and attics and parents tell us sometimes for years because they've got way too much stuff and they have no time to deal with it. So this is a huge untapped opportunity. It goes without saying that resale is booming. I think we all know that. In 2019, online resale disruptors like ThreadUp and The Real Real grew a whopping 49%. The trend continued in 2020. So the circular economy is really hitting its stride right now. And that's attributed to the buying behavior of millennials. Today, there are close to 4 million babies born each year in the US. And the majority of them now are born to millennial moms. So the toy and baby gear market is just really ripe for a disruptor. And we're building Toy Cycle for exactly this type of resale revolution. We make money through a variable revenue share on sales with higher value items netting more for consigning fam families. We're currently averaging a 65% share overall for Toy Cycle. This is a split that we have successfully employed over the first year and our traction here is really good. We've got 250 active consigners and counting. We add more every week. 23% of our consigners are repeat consigners. So this is a service that's really valuable to them. Our unit economics are very good with an average 60% of our share covering the costs of acquiring and selling products and a 40% margin. As we build out our network, uh, network of trained curators, they'll get the lion's share because at that point they'll be doing the heavy lifting, all the picking up, the inspecting, the photographing, the listing, the storage, importantly, and the shipping of orders. Uh, at that point, Toy Cycle will average a 20% share on sales. And to be clear here, we get all of our inventory at no initial cost. Selling families are paid when their items sell. Uh, local consignment shops in our network will pay SaaS fees for our integrated software solution. Solution enables super efficient listing with image recognition, built-in product pricing and shipping information. And it also will seamlessly sync their online sales with their in-store sales, which has been a challenge for uh, independent local consignment shops. They will also pay a flat 10% seller fee. We've got really good uh, early track new area as well. We grew 140% year over year, quarter four, 2019 to 2020 with 14,000 in sales last quarter. We're on track to see similar growth this quarter. And this traction is all still from my garage. We're about to move into a larger space, but so far we've been doing everything out of my home. So we've proven that a really significant amount of revenue is achievable with a small scale in-home 
so that this can be a great gig opportunity for a toy cycle curator. Our go-to-market strategy involves unlocking the supply chain, which is our consigning families. And we wanna do that first by bringing on more consigning families in the San Francisco Bay Area through mostly organic channels that we've employed so far, word of mouth, social, repeat consigners, friends. We reach our thrifty mom shoppers across the US by doubling down on what's been working for us thus far. That's inbound and outbound email marketing content marketing and influencers. We also have an affiliate marketing program. We'll enlist toy cycle curators uh, by among other things, partnering with other parent service companies that provide local services to parents. Companies like Urban Sitter, Kango, Traveling Baby Company, which is a gear rental service. We will also recruit from our own customers and our own consigners as well as through hyper-local social media channels like Facebook moms groups. Our independent curators, again, provide a doorstep concierge service in their local areas, and they manage the listing, the storage, and the shipping of the products that they sell. They're highly trained people who we train, especially in quality assurance so that they can maintain the standards that we expect for our marketplace. They can set their own hours, they can work part-time or full-time. They can make anywhere from $800 to $5,000 a month. These numbers are all based on our own experience doing this work for this last year. We will employ a stringent vetting and training process, as well as tracking and rating systems to ensure that our curators are meeting the expectations regarding the quality and condition uh, of items that they list. And finally, we will enlist the consignment stores with an incentive and a targeted sales plan. And they'll bring even more quality controlled in, into the marketplace. We are not the first to adopt a curation consignment model. The Real Real uses this, ThreadUp uses it, tremendous success there. We are the first to employ a network of expert curators for products of early childhood. We have indirect competitors and direct competitors, families, as I said before, they can sell or buy an existing market, but as I've described, it's far from ideal. Uh, the mortar options also have been really severely compromised by COVID-19. There are a lot of local consignment shops who have closed their doors permanently and will not reopen. Um, that leaves a big gap in consignment services right now. Direct competitors have validated but we are the only company, again, providing an effortless white glove consignment service with this capital efficient distributed network of curators. And we're enlisting competitors as our partners, the consignment shops. So this is our secret sauce and this is what's going to make us successful. While we're talking about competitors, I also wanted to add here that our greatest value proposition on the demand side aside obviously from the quality of our inventory, is flat rate shipping. Most marketplaces, in fact, all of them employ per product shipping, which really saddles both buyers and sellers with these huge shipping costs because you're paying shipping on individual items. We currently encourage our customers to fill their carts and we use a flat rate shipping structure based on the weight of the cart. Our average order value has grown from 
$22 in quarter one of 2020 to $31 overall last year to $42 since January 1st of this year. At row and scale, we will also deploy uh, smart shipping technology, which will reward customers for purchasing from local and regional curators. And because of the quantity of items families need in the early years, this model, the flat rate shipping and the smart shipping, it's an enormous savings over buying in conventional marketplaces. As we're building out our software solution with the integrated technology and the smart shipping, we will launch a pilot with our first curators. We've actually got that slated for May this year. By the end of the year, we'll be onboarding our curators and consignment shops rapidly. And we project to have 28 million in gross merchandise value through our marketplace and to be cash flow positive by 2023. So I've already told you a little myself, I wanted to tell you that my co-founder Safraz is an ex-developer and a two-time startup founder. His first startup, Talk Health, was a healthcare marketplace connecting patients, doctors, and medical institutes in Pakistan. We've been together for three years. As I said, TwiCycle is our second product peer-to-platform. The rest of our team brings over 50 years of experience in marketplaces, business and sales strategy. Peggy Chang, who is the CEO of Activity Hero, has been in the trenches building a two-sided marketplace in the parenting space, so she's a great asset to us. We are tenacious. We are clearly adaptable. We really understand this problem, and we are the ones who are going to solve it. We're raising a $600,000 pre-seed round to bring on the next generation of our product and to accelerate our growth. This early money will be used for development, operation, recruiting, our curator pilot, and sales and marketing. And so with that, actually, I would like to just thank you again for the opportunity to share, and I'm happy to take any questions that you have. Let's pause for a moment so we can hear from our sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors, and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. It keeps us focused on what makes Make Your Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using CRM Engine, go to the show notes of this episode. Okay, wow. This is an interesting uh, model that you've developed and I, I like it. It's unique and it's different. You have what I think is the foundation for a franchise organization. And by the way you're responding, I can tell you've given it some thought. Uh, share with us your, your, your thoughts about creating a franchise. Yeah, well, we do understand that we have a really uh, broad opportunity for people out there who want to work at, you know, take this on as a gig economy opportunity, or perhaps 
be more ambitious than that and even develop it into something larger than out of their home. So we are working right now with an attorney to establish what the exact legal relationship between ToyCycle and our expert curators would be. And that will be very likely as we're looking at at this point, some type of hybrid model, very similar to a franchise model. Yeah, the hybrid, I think would work best for you. Because in a franchise, you really have to have everything precisely structured um, but you are, uh, you're a forward thinker. I like that. Now, um, with respect to your, um, your, your slide with the numbers, okay. Um, how close are your numbers to reality? Yes, that's the slide. Well, that's a great question, Ellen. <laughs> we have, these numbers are projections that are, I think, very um, conservative and sound projections. They're based on uh, market spend. So when you see total GMV here and total revenue, all of those numbers are based on a specific amount of market spend. We have a company actually called My Startup CFO, which we were able to access through a, an accelerator program we did recently. And they developed our financial model for us. And it was quite wondrous to me because everything actually, you know, you're not, it's not, it's not a guess here. It's like, we're going to spend this much on marketing and customer acquisition will cost this much. And the onboarding of um, curators will cost this much. And then the revenue will be that much based on that spend. So assuming we're able to raise our, our pre-seed round, these numbers are, are very sound. Uh, if it takes us longer to raise that money, the numbers are still sound, the timeline will be extended. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Does that answer your it question? Does. Uh, it does. And um, it just occurred to me that I'm talking about a slide and for our audio listeners, yes. yeah. we're, I, I just wanna be fair and, and go back and talk about what this looks like so that they can envision what your spreadsheet looks like. And it's not a full spreadsheet, it's an excerpt of it. Um, but what is GMV? GMV is gross merchandise value. And in okay. a marketplace, that's the total amount of list value that moves through the marketplace. And that's the amount of money that then is split in our model. A certain amount goes to Toy Cycle, a certain amount goes to the consigning family, and a certain amount will go to the curator. So our revenue, then you'll see under that line, total revenue, that's Toy Cycle's total revenue out of that total GMV amount. Okay, okay. So basically you have um, started with fiscal year 2021 and you've taken it out four years to 2025. And you have um, really, the math I can tell is very well defined. Uh, because your, your GMV, your total revenue, your operating expense, and your net profit, as well as your EBITDA. <laughs> I like the word EBITDA. It's earnings okay. before interest, taxes, depreciation, and the A stands for? Um, help me out with that. 
right. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, um, appreciation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, but the idea is with the EBITDA, you've broken it into um, percentages. And the percentage model is, I think, it's fairly direct and it's somewhat easy to get to. It's just a matter of uh, subtraction and division. Um, but I think that your, <clears throat> your numbers are sound, which is why I asked you um, how real are they? Because I could tell immediately looking at them that you crunch them a lot of nights and a lot of days trying to yeah. make sure that yeah. they are accurate. And you've done an excellent job there. Now, um, you. you're welcome. My question to you is what is your projection for you, for your company? Uh, currently it's in its nascent stage. However, at some point, the model that you're using, it's going to grow. And I can tell that. What is your projection on the potential growth of Toy Cycle? Well, I'm not sure I understand your question in, in terms of difference from what we're looking at here on this slide. This is our anticipation of uh, growth for Toy Cycle, bringing on the curators and bringing on the consignment shops. In developing these numbers, we have um, you know, projected a certain number of curators uh, across the country, a certain number of consigning families that are attached to those curators, a certain amount of inventory on average that comes from each family, a certain amount, uh, a certain list amount of inventory on average from each family. So there are a lot of numbers that have gone into this and our projections about how we onboard them and what toy cycles uh, revenue share in all of those sales is. And that's where you see our growth here, you know, up to 52 million in uh, fiscal year 2025. Okay. Am I answering yes. your question or did I not? Okay, great. You, you nailed it. <laughs> okay, right. so um, let's go back to your living room so you don't have to continue to share your screen. Super. And we can just kind of chat about... Um, when, when I asked the question, I was really looking at your vision. What's your vision? We're from where you are today, three years out, five years yeah. out. Yeah. And the numbers inspired that question. So yeah. What's your vision? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a much more exciting question to me, actually, because I, um, it gets me really excited to think about the possibility of almost blanketing the country with, with uh, moms, likely, mostly, who are providing this service to other families in different places across the U.S. And a marketplace, a huge and thriving marketplace that families can really trust. Like, that's the thing that I care about the most. There, there are things that I described in my presentation about existing marketplaces that just really don't meet the needs of families. So when I say, you know, I, I now my kids are older, but I'm a mom of two six month old babies, let's say, I need a whole lot of onesies, I need some clothes, I need toys, I need a couple of bouncers, I need, you know, there's a lot of stuff I need. If I have to go to a marketplace and search for every individual item, 
and then pay for every individual item and then pay the shipping on every individual item. One, I, you know, I, I don't know how any parent does that, frankly. I know that they do. I don't know how. I think they do it in the wee hours of the morning when they can't sleep. Um, and see, you know, that, that just doesn't work. That's a model that just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. So, you know, what we're creating and what really gets me excited is a marketplace that allows a family to go in and buy that, that bunch of onesies and some clothing and some infant toys, baby carrier, and, you know, eight, 10, whatever number of products they, that they need, because we've got it all there. And then have that shipped to them for one flat rate. So they save a lot of money. They save money because it's resale and, you know, you automatically money off of retail there. And they can count on it arriving in great condition. There's not going to be any surprises. It's going to ask them to come pick it up themselves. <laughs> you know, it's not going to, it, it, it's, it's, it's not going to be hit or miss anymore. It's really going to work for them. So um, I, my vision is that it's more that experience for families. And it is huge and it is vibrant and robust and uh, working across the country and beyond. Excellent. I'd like to bring Christopher in because I know he <laughs> has some questions that he wants to ask. Yeah, I, I never have any questions. You know that, Ellen. My goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, my uh, the first question I have is how, how are you going to handle the quality control as you scale? Uh, because that uh, the quality of what you're doing is going to be the basis of whether you survive or not, literally. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think our, our quality control and our customer service are both really incredibly important for what we're trying to do. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, um, in, in an extensive vetting process, the, the people that we bring on, we're going to make sure that the, they're the type of people that have this quality control ingrained in, in them already. And I don't know um, something that makes any sense to you, but it's clear to me from uh, just talking to people like the, the first couple of people we're bringing on as curators in our pilot, I can already get a sense of how they will handle quality control. Beyond that, we're going to have a very uh, robust training process where uh, through videos, because we won't be able to be in actual locations face-to-face -face these people in the country, but through videos, very clear training process showing, you know, the quality that's unacceptable, the quality that is acceptable, and how everything needs to be handled in, in that sense. In terms beyond that, then, the next step is a um, that is something that customers participate in. And, you know, we will just have zero tolerance, basically, for a lack of quality control in our curators. So if we're hearing complaints from customers, or if we have any indication or evidence that the quality control is not being maintained, then that curator, curator is not going to be able to sell with TwiCycle. Let me add to that, I started this by saying quality control and customer service. We currently have a no questions asked policy and we stand behind that, which I think makes our 0.14% return rate even that more, uh, much more remarkable because we have made it clear to our customers that if you have a problem with something you purchased from us, 
from us, you can return it. You, you, we will, re, you will take it back and we'll return your money to you. Even so, we've only had four things returned to us. Mm -hmm. we, we can make that promise with curators as we go and mail because we will have this very stringent process to ensure the quality assurance or handle a problem quickly if, if it develops and keep our customers happy throughout. Okay. Sometimes it's something as simple as a card dropped in the box with the shipment, uh, directing them back to you for any uh, complaints or comments would yep. probably be a good thing, but then you wouldn't know where that toy came from, would you? So how are you developing your software in order to handle that? And is your software ready right now to scale or is it just still under development? Our software is still under development. It is not ready to scale. We need to raise some money to make that happen. And uh, let me just clarify that we absolutely will know where every toy comes from. That's what our software does. We will, there's, there's, um, master admin layer in our software where toy cycle itself sees and knows everything where there's some omniscience there and uh and then every curator has their layer of consignment and products so every every product that comes through our marketplace has a product id and that product id assigns it to a family and to a curator and it's clear where it has come from so there's not going to be any challenge in terms of the technology that we have identifying that uh, the product and where it came from. Uh, do, you, do you feel like it's going to be uh, 2022 before you start really adding many uh, curators to the system? I believe that we're going to have, I guess the question there is what does many mean? I believe that we are going to have uh, be bringing on curators fairly quickly towards the end of this year. We're going to start our pilot in a couple of months. The pilot will just be a handful of curators. But um, the idea is to iterate quickly if there's, you know, to, to solve any problems in this pilot and move forward quickly and have several dozen uh, curators on board by the end of the year. And then if many means hundreds, then yes, that will be more like 2022 and 2023. Okay. You had made mention of a sell a ten percent sales fee. I didn't quite understand where that came from or who pays it. Yeah. What what is that about? Yeah, yeah. So we have in, in our model um, the the main part of our model is the curators. Those are the partners that we will work with across the U.S. and have the closest relationship with. We have a space in our marketplace, though, also for existing local consignment shops who will likewise be held to the same quality standards. Um, but existing consignment shops we know are already typically in the business of curating quality inventory. That's what they do for their own shops in their own areas. And they've already got their own pricing structure and their relationship with their consigners. However, they hand that, handle that. Some shops pay outright, some shops pay on consignment. We don't intend to change their entire business structure. So we allow them the opportunity into our marketplace with a software that makes that super efficient for them mm -hmm. and sell in our marketplace. And 
for those um, entities, those local consignment shops, they will just pay the flat 10% seller fee, which is quite similar to every other existing marketplace out there. Okay. And for access to our software, which will be awesome for them and make their life so much easier, they'll pay the SAS fee. All right. Now, as we as we come to the end of this particular uh, uh, make your pitch, uh, I want to do a little visualization here for a moment. All right. I'm uh, I'm a consignment shop. Now, I probably right now I have clothes. I have uh, all kinds of other things, like jewelry, whatever you might might carry in a consignment shop. So those people then are going to come in and actually just add you as a segment of their overall business? Yes. And keep in mind, this is local kids' consignment shops. So it's not just any consignment shop. It's going to be kids' shops. They already carry clothing, toys, and gear. Okay. And they can, uh, we can be a channel through which they can boost their sales. Well, it's been a while since I've had a young, young child, but I, driving around, I don't, I don't, I don't remember seeing a lot of kids consignment shops. Maybe I'm just not looking in the right place, right? Are there a lot of them around the country? There are actually a lot of them around the country. Okay. I think that right. they may be one of the most successful types of consignment shops. And again, because children have so much stuff and they outgrow it so rapidly, so there's so much product that's still in, you know, excellent, barely condition. All right, very good. See there. It just shows my, uh, uh, I don't know if it's my age or my uh, not have been in the kid, kid's business for a while. Nonetheless, uh, we also, uh, when, we, uh, when we traded uh, items, uh, we tried to trade them between families and friends. We didn't really get any yes. money for it. That does happen. <laughs> and that still does happen, absolutely. And that's a great way to be circular and reuse. We, right, we support exactly. that wholeheartedly. All right. Now, before we uh, close entirely, first of all, Ellen, I'll uh, see if you have any final questions, please. No, I think uh, Rhonda was very thorough in her answers to my questions. I do, too. And in fact, uh, uh, Rhonda, do you have any final things you'd like to say to the investors before we close today? Uh, I don't think so. Other than contact information, I'd ha be happy to talk further, answer any questions. Um, we are looking for investors. Uh, obviously, investors of any sort are probably, you know, we, we have a conversation with, but we're, we're specifically looking for investors who like to have some hands-on particip participation in a company and bring um, their, the rest of their skill set and just uh, investment. So um, okay. happy to talk to anybody who is interested in hearing more. Okay, and, and we will make sure that we have all your contact information in the show notes for this episode so they can contact you directly and speak with you and uh, ask even more questions I'm sure they'll have than even we have asked you today. So, uh, Rhonda, thank you so much for being a part of Make Your Pitch. And uh, you know that we'll stand behind you and help you in every way we can as you progress toward your goals, okay? Right. Thank you so much. This was opportunity. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. And for all of you who are uh, listening to uh, this episode live or in, in, the, in the replay, I want to welcome you to contact Rhonda and make sure that you get a chance to get in on a, the ground floor opportunity 
of his service, which really makes sense. But before we close, we always like to say, make your pitch. And we'll see all of you on next Thursday for the Make Your Pitch podcast. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, go smash the subscription button. And if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch.